I'm Stefan Sittig, and welcome to American Theatre Artists Online, where we talk with leading contemporary figures in American theatre. If you've been enjoying the American Theatre Artists Online podcast, I urge you to consider donating to help the artists who produce the theatre that we all love so much. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, many performers, designers, directors, choreographers, stage crew, and theater administration staff are either without a job or in peril of losing their jobs. The Actors Fund provides assistance to artists to cover basic living expenses, such as food, essential medications, utilities, and more. If you love and enjoy theater, please consider donating to the Actors Fund today. Just go to actorsfund.org and press donate. Airport Boulevard to get to school, and that time of day, people are in a little bit of a rush to get to work and stuff. So, normally, I sit there and run my radar. And if they're speeding, I'll stop them and write out a warning ticket. I'll write STFD. Slow the f*** down. My guest today is Gino Carr, a actor-singer, director, and educator who starred in the Tony Award-winning Broadway musical Come From Away. He also starred off-Broadway in the musical satire Bush Wars and has been seen in the national tours of Grease, Phantom, and the Buddy Holly story. Gino has appeared in leading roles in numerous plays and musicals regionally at the Old Globe, Merry-Go-Round Playhouse, Lyric Opera San Diego, Maine Shakespeare Festival, Heritage Theatre Festival, and many others. In addition to having served for two years as assistant professor of theater and resident artist at Stevens College in Columbia, Missouri, he has also taught at Miracosta College in Oceanside, California, and currently serves on the theater arts faculty at Grossmont College in San Diego. He is a summa cum laude graduate of Hartwick College with a dual BA in music and theater arts, holds an MFA in theater from Sarah Lawrence College, and he is a proud member of Actors' Equity Association and the Stage Directors and Choreographers Society. Hi, Gino. Welcome to American Theatre Artists Online. I am so honored and happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me to hang out for a little while. Oh, we are excited. Um, We like to talk to what we call leading contemporary figures in American theatre. And I think some of your experiences that you've had recently and you may have coming up uh, qualify. So we're really excited to have you, an actor, singer, director, and educator, multi-hyphenate, one of those people. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. The more letters, the merrier. Yeah. (laughs) That's right. Well, in these days, you have to do as much as you can to, to hustle and stay uh, you know, in the game with everything that's been going on. So one of, the, one of the things I noticed and one of the things that we have you on here for is, you know, obviously you starred in the Tony Award winning Broadway musical Come From Away, which is really having a moment right now, is it not, with everything that's going on? <laughs> yeah, it sure is. I mean, for multiple reasons. You know, the end of the 
the, uh, the the quarantine period of, of, of Broadway is sort of you know coming back to life, and they reopen on September twenty first. They were also on Good Morning America, and they had a concert at the, on the, on the, the steps of the Lincoln Memorial last week. All. Uh, in part, of course, to commemorate um, and, and honor the memory of the events of 9-11, but also to sort of, you know, celebrate the fact that theater is coming back and the show gets a chance to reopen and have its, have its next life, which is exciting. I know. And also for those who weren't able to go to the Lincoln Memorial or haven't had a chance yet to get to Broadway, although having seen the show, I recommend seeing it in person, if at all possible. There's also a wonderful film version of a performance uh, from Come From Away on Apple Plus, am I right? That's right, that just came out. They filmed it. Um, I'm not a part of that. Uh, mm-hmm. they're, they're basically using the cast that's coming back um, for the most part here in a few weeks. But they were able to film that back in May in front of a live audience on Broadway at the Gerald Schoenfeld Theater, which is the home of Come From Away. So a very exciting time, you know, captured live in front of an audience. So it sort of has that same Hamilton um, feel that Disney Plus had last year and it's just a wonderful way to share this incredible story and this incredible musical now with you know people in over a hundred different countries so it's an amazing way to send that ripple effect of of the goodness of the show and and the hope and and the the joy of it to, to lots and lots of people amazing and you know i actually full confession saw the show on Apple Plus last night. <laughs> so I've got it fresh in my head. And um, I had seen the show originally at Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C., wow. and it's tryout there before it went um, to Broadway a couple of, uh, some time before it got to Broadway, I think. Uh, and I, um, mm-hmm. I, I, I have to say it holds up quite well. Yeah, I mean, the, the way they filmed it. I mean, the, the show has always been gorgeous. It's always been... Um, such a, uh, an inventive theatrical um, musical and, and that just is, is so much fun but boy the way they filmed it and Chris Ashley who uh, won the Tony for his direction of the stage musical also directed um, the movie um, the filmed live capture so it's the it's the Broadway musical that you're seeing but what's amazing of course about you know TV film is you can pick and choose those angles and and that they really can help, you know, the director can help guide the audience to see certain things or, or, or sh- you know, shed light on things that maybe weren't as obvious or, you know, kind of continue to help with the, with the visual storytelling. And it just, I mean, the show just, you know, it pops off of that screen. It's so vibrant and beautiful. And it was, it's exciting for me to watch. I've only actually watched half of it so far, full confession. Um, but um, I'm excited to keep watching it. It's just amazing for me to watch it because I've never seen the show. I was literally in the show 1,200 times, but I was always... In, inside the machine, you know, I was right. in there moving chairs and singing, and I never knew what it all mm. sounded like, looked like, felt like from the outside. And it's, well, it's just, it gives me a, a whole new appreciation and perspective on what a special piece of theater really is. Absolutely. So let's talk a bit about you and your relationship with Come From Away. Now, I mean, what an amazing thing to be a part of, right? And, and I think you were part of it from pretty much uh, in the beginning, right? Am I wrong that you originated uh, one of the roles? No, you're, you're correct. So um, I auditioned for uh, Come From Away uh, at La Jolla Playhouse uh, here in San Diego, California. I'm based um, out of San Diego for about the last uh, 13 years or so. Uh, love living on the West Coast. Uh, it's really nice. The weather's gorgeous. Beautiful city. Um, San Diego is a beautiful city. Right. It's amazing. It's amazing here. And it has. it's one of the most vibrant regional theater communities in the country. And and uh, both the Old Globe and La Jolla Playhouse are, are two large regional houses who are quite famous for shepherding and, and um, you know, ushering new work 
to to commercial success um, uh, on Broadway as well as other locations. And this show came up. Um, it had had a few workshops uh, in years before, but this was the world premiere of Come From Away, and that was the late spring, early summer of 2015. Mm. So I auditioned that was called in specifically for this one track. Now, they were auditioning here in San Diego, L.A., they auditioned in Toronto, in New York. Uh, it was really important for the artistic team to sort of cast a really wide net and, and you know, did find the, the people that were, were right for it. And they had kind of a specific sensibility, I, I came to find out later, um, which is really important. It wasn't just about, can you sing it? Are you the right type? Um, it, it actually really was more it's about, are you the right spirit? Um, are you... You know the the way the show is is performed. It's not a solo, you know, duet, and then you know the ensemble comes out and sings and dances for five minutes and goes back to the dressing room. It is uh, an ensemble of principles. Chris always said, and it's and that's not always an easy thing to find. Yeah. Um, any of us who have been in theater for any length of time uh, know that ego is is something that um, always weasels its way into <laughs> casts, uh, depending on the person. Sure. Um, and it was just a very important um, element for for the, for the team that everyone would be part of this community because the show's about community. The way the story is constructed and told, staged, sung, is all communal. Uh, there is one solo number in the show. Everything else is small groups. And even if it's smaller groups, people are singing back up underneath it. So it's really important for them to pick and choose people who, A, could carry principal roles, but also play like an ensemble, willing to turn on a dime and try something different and change a hat and become a new person. So it was uh, kind of a unique skill set in some ways that uh, we're taught as actors so much to, you know, you know, do what we do best and, um, you know, sometimes that is a really specific, you know, thing or things. And I've been very lucky in my career. I've gotten to play a lot of different characters and sing in a lot of different styles. Mm. Um, and so for me, it was a perfect fit. And when they called me in, I thought, well, there's nothing more perfect than this show for me. But again, as artists, so much of it is out of our control. Oh, that you right. just go in, you do the best you can, you leave it on the floor, and you, and you walk away and go have a snack. Uh, and you, <laughs> so, hope, you hope for the best. <laughs> I, I definitely want to hear more about your audition experience because I think those listening in and sure. those that listen to this podcast love to hear sort of behind the scenes as much as they can, sort of how the audition experience is for, for different actors. But before we get into that, for those listening and also who may be living under a rock or who may just not know what Come From Away is about, I've had some people ask, this looks really interesting, what is it about? So how do you give a synopsis in 25 words or less about what Come From Away is about? Quickly, tell us that. And then after that, let's talk a bit about your audition experience and how that went. So so go ahead and tell us more about Come From Away. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Um, Come From Away is a story about um, the events in the days following 9-11. Uh, it takes place in the small town of Gander, Newfoundland, which is on the northeast tip of North America in Canada. And this small town welcomed 38 commercial jetliners when U.S. airspace was shut down into their small town, basically doubling their population. Wow. And it's about how the community took care of the come from aways, the people who weren't from there, and fed them, clothed them, uh, entertained them, consoled them, and made lifelong friendships. Um, and it's just a, a story about community, about kindness, and about the power of goodness in the face of, um, of bad things happening, tragic events. Wonderful. You know, and it's really great. I, I've noticed that it depends on when you've seen the show. It still does that sort of feel good. I saw it in 2016 when there was a lot going on in the country and a lot of division and the beginning of a lot of things that we're seeing now sort of happening. And then now to watch it five years later, four years later, 
um, four to five years later and to, to see that it works still, but in a different way, right? It's whatever you need in terms of, it does give you that feel good moment for at least a couple of hours. Um, so talk to us about... Well, yeah, I think it yeah. gives you hope. I mean, if yes. nothing else. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Hope, you're absolutely right. And it's such a wonderful ensemble piece. So that's a great description of the show, and I think that should pique anyone's interest to go check it out, whether it be live on Broadway or, or to, to on, on Apple+. Plus. Um, let's talk a bit about the role that you were called in for then, for, for your audition for um, Oz, right? The Constable? <laughs> And other yeah, roles? so How did that come yeah, to so basically, it's interesting. They they all the tracks in this show, um, and you know, a track basically just being you know the the role or roles that you play within the course of, of, a, of a show. Mm-hmm. Um, this particular track was primarily it was called Oz and Others. So Oz is, is short for Oswald Fudge, mm-hmm. um, and this is a real person. Mm-hmm. These are all these stories are are real people, real events. Wow. Uh, some are composites or amalgamations of multiple stories, but but everything that you you see in here um, on the stage is from direct interviews and direct um, events that occurred during these days. So he's a real guy. He was a member of a two-person police department in Gander, Newfoundland. That's mm-hmm. how small the town uh, is. It's a town of about you know six thousand people, mm-hmm. so not very large. And um, but in addition to that, I played I. I I got to play a lot of other small characters. Some people kind of played two big characters and one or two smaller ones. I think I played like eight named characters or something within the course of the of the show, which is a great challenge and a great joy as an actor to get to tell all these stories and have fun. You know, it's sort of what we do as actors. We love to be other people. So to get to get that kind of fun chance to turn around and put on a jacket and suddenly you're a rabbi and then go over here and put on these glasses and you're Oz again. So um, so they called me in specifically for that track. So Oz and others also played a guy on a plane, kind of a drunk guy on a plane. I played a rabbi. I played a, a bar owner, a bus driver. Just, you know, the list goes on and on. So right off the bat, I knew it was a fun theatrical conceit. Um, I didn't know anything about the events that the show was talking about. I don't think many of us in the United States did. Uh, some still don't. It was, a, you know, of course, a very Canadian um, event, and we had our own stuff going on here at the time. But, um, but once I learned about the story, I just was, you know, just in shock and awe of, of what it really meant and what, and what the story was was um, telling us about. And so I, I went in and I had, I think I had two different you know, sections of a song to sing and two um, two or three different little sides from the show, just pieces of dialogue. Um, and so I didn't have an initial audition. It was sort of like I got streamlined to a callback, which is always a really nice thing. Yeah. Um, they just kind of knew me at La Jolla Playhouse, so I got called in specifically for the role. But it was the most unique audition I think I've ever had. And uh, speaking to the rest of my um, castmates and, and those who have come into the show since, it's a very similar story. It's They really wanted to, to, as I said earlier, kind of make sure they have principal singer actors who can also work as an ensemble who are willing to take risks and willing to um, you know make bold choices and commit to it and, and be able to drop in and out of characters quickly and also be you know, responsible for other people. A lot of the show is about, I set this chair here, and if it's not there, he doesn't get to sit down in it. And if I don't pass this Bible to her in this moment, she doesn't have it for the next scene. Mm. So it really is a 
a special piece of theater in the way that it's constructed and uh, stylistically, you know, we had to all be able to really sing as, a, as an ensemble as well as sing as all these different characters in a, in a contemporary musical theater style, but it also had a lot of Newfoundland sound to it, uh, heavily influenced by the music of, of Newfoundland and Labrador. Um, so it was uh, an audition of, okay, sing this song. All right, now actually go back and do you have anything in your book that's from Golden Age, kind of a ballad? Uh, okay, so I sing that. Okay, now let's read this side. Okay, great. Can you do that side again, Gino. And this time, try it. Do you have any accents? British? Okay, try it with a British dialect. Uh, okay, let's go back to that first song. So, it, and it literally was, I think, 12 or 13 minutes of me in the room with Chris Ashley, uh, Teresa Sapien, who was local casting, and the accompanist, and there was a camera. And that was it. That was wow. the extent of who was in the room. Mm. So I went and just, Chris kept me on my toes and <laughs> let me play and... and you know, it was it was very fun, but I've never had to sing. I think I sang almost everything from my book, six or seven songs of my own, plus the material they gave me. Mm. And it really was so fun and a little nerve-wracking because she was like, wait, are they hearing more because I'm not giving them what they want? <laughs> and in hindsight, it was, no, they, they want to hear all the things that you have to offer. Right, to see how much and you could do. that was... Yeah, because the show is about us playing, you know, hundreds of different people within the course of an hour and 40 minutes. So it was a very unique situation. And then the, the uniqueness continued because that was it. That was my audition. Mm. Um, the videotape. And yes, I think it was VHS. No, I think it was <laughs> a smaller cassette. But either way, <laughs> uh, it was then brought to the rest of the artistic team. Mm-hmm. It was it was burned into wax onto a, a record. <laughs> uh, it uh, then got you know brought to the music director Ian Eisendrath and to mm-hmm. the New York casting um, office Rachel Hoffman who was at Telsey and Company and David uh, uh, and Irene the, the writers David Hine and Irene Sankoff. So I that was it for my audition. Usually we have another audition or you mm-hmm. you sort of feel like you're getting whittled down. Like okay, there's four of us now for this. That mm-hmm. was it. I I didn't hear anything for I think almost two months and um, yeah and then suddenly like yep you got it Uh, okay Hmm. this is great so I felt so wonderful it was a new musical Um, it was working with Chris Ashley and this Hmm. great team of, of, of artists and and that was that was it. Like that's all I it was going to be. And then, of course, the road kind of opened and changed, and it, it's become a very different journey. But for me, I was celebrating the fact that I got this new musical, and it would be a fun challenge. But little did I know that it would sort of become this you know global hit and a huge phenomenon. That's uh, as you said, it's really resonating even more right now. It's really having its its kind of second birth. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting what you talk about in the audition process where they were putting you through your paces and really trying to find out the full range of the different things that you could do, because that shows in the show, not just with you, but also with others about really what people comment about the show when they see it is how many different characters you each have to play in the show, all of you, and then how you have to turn on a dime from being the passengers to being the townspeople, and it's hard to do without really any cost, major costume change or any, you know, any real um, change in music per se. I mean, it's all really you guys making these characters believable. It's really pretty amazing. Well, and like as I said earlier, I mean, it really is an actor's dream, right? I mean, you yeah. just you get to have all these all this fun, and we all had at least one or two kind of major characters, and they all had these arcs, yeah. you know, and it's woven into this beautiful tapestry of different stories. But but yeah, it's it's a really it's it's a chance for an actor to kind of show off and really, you know, drop into like, okay, I've created all these different characters, and now I get to like change the channel, mm. you know, in, in, in a heartbeat and throw something on, move that chair, the lights change, I'm somebody else, and so it's a real exercise in 
in, in preparation and how important <laughs> it was to be, you know, as thorough with the homework on all these characters as you could be so that, you know, when you change that channel and you catch that person for one line or one song or, or whatever it is, you're in it and it, it's recognizable. As you said, there aren't a ton of costumes. So it's more of a, okay, how physically vocally, um, spiritually, you know, who is this person in this moment? And you're ready to sort of just, you know, click that button and drop into it. So it's a challenge, but it's, it's, it's so rewarding at the same time. It's amazing. So you go through the whole audition process and then talk, talk to us about when you find out that you're in the, so it was the first production at, at the old globe or La Jolla. Uh, La Jolla Playhouse. La Jolla, okay. La Jolla Playhouse. So what, talk to yeah, us about yeah. how you get to that. Um, did you get a call? People always like to hear the story of how you get offered the role. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you this part of the story, and then I'll tell you what kind of happened next, because it's even, even better getting the role story. So, sure. um, yeah, so I basically, I got a, a phone call from Teresa Sapien, who was the local casting director here at, at La Jolla Playhouse, and she mm-hmm. said, um, you, you got it, they, they, they want you to do it. And I was like, oh, like no other audition? Like, do they need to see me again? She goes, nope. They saw your video, and, and we're all really excited for you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very, you know, supportive community here um, in San Diego. So it ended up being two local contracts. Um, people who are from San Diego who are, who are in the show at the time and mm-hmm. everyone else either came from Canada or, or New York and, mm-hmm. and kind of from all over so it was just really exciting you know you sort of feel like okay I got picked you know for the kickball team it, it yeah. felt it felt very very good and very rewarding um, and then the show happened and it was a huge success um, I think they, they always knew it was a, a good story but um, having talked to David and Irene and everyone else they, they weren't sure it was going to be a, a huge commercial success mm-hmm. and a lot of stuff kind of not going for it uh, you know, right off the bat it's a musical uh, you know based on the events around 9-11 which you know that's not the first thing people think about when they want to go see a musical let's go see a, a tragedy musical you know um, of course we we all know now who, who have experienced it seen it um, heard it that that's not what it's about it's a 9-12 musical it's about what happens mm-hmm. after um and in the face of and in response to the, mm-hmm. the horrible events but but they just weren't sure i mean there was there was a uh, you know, uh, talk about, well, maybe it'll just be done by Canadian colleges and high schools, and that will be fine, too. But mm. we get this nice world premiere in America, and we'll see how it goes. But um, the show was extraordinarily successful. It did very, very well, and people just loved it from, from moment one. And we just kind of knew, we knew it was special, but we didn't know that everyone else would agree in the same way. Mm. Um, again, as artists, we had a great time working on it, and we felt proud. But that's not always the case. You know, you put it in front of an audience, you're like, eh, that was okay. Yeah. Um, so this was a, a, a one of the rare instances of we felt really good about it, and everyone who came to see it felt really good about it, and that's sort of lightning in a bottle. So, so the the, the lead producers who um, were kind of shepherding it, they're called Junkyard Dog Productions. Uh, they're out of New York. They also produced um, Memphis, the big hit Memphis, First Date, um, and have had their hands in a couple other projects. But they sort of said at that point, we feel like this, you know, we can invest more in the the future of this show. Um, so the show then went to Seattle Rep uh, in, in the fall, about four or five months later, with most of the cast intact. I did not go, um, nor did Allison Spratt Pierce, who is uh, was the other San Diego local who was with the show. Um, they had two actors who had done a workshop in Seattle of the musical prior, so they were already cast when the show got up to Seattle. So, so I sort of said, okay, well, you know, it was great, it was super fun, but <laughs> that's it right i mean someone else is playing the role and that's you know i'm a little sad but hey it was a wonderful experience and i will you know so uh, you, learn you, from it and we'll you thought at that point that was the end of your journey with the musical 
I, I mean, I assume so. And that, that, sure. that was at that point, at the end of the journey right. of the musical period, you know, yeah, they were for, just, right. it was La Jolla and Seattle and, you thought, okay. um, yeah. And so Seattle came and went and it was a huge success up there, set box mm-hmm. office records. Again, people just, you know, loving the show. And that was all I heard. That was it. You know, no mm-hmm. one, no one knew anything else about it. And then early February, um, of 20, gosh, what was that? Now? 2016. 16, yeah. uh, it was about, it was about seven, seven something in the morning, which is pretty early. But I, at that point had a, a kid who was about six months old. So I was up, um, <laughs> already. <laughs> to it, yeah. Um, and it was one of those where, a, you know, a number comes up on your phone. I was like, oh, 917. I have a, I have a New York cell phone, but I don't know who that is. It's probably spam. It's probably a, you know, oh, no. a wrong number. So I let it go to voicemail. Oh. Well, then, you know, a few minutes later, I'm like, oh, okay, let's see who it is. It's Christopher Ashley, who is the artistic director of La Jolla Playhouse and the director of Come From Away. And the message literally just says, hey, um, so the show's moving forward. We'd love to have you join us again. It's going to D.C. this summer and then Toronto, and then we're going to be in New York. So I know you have a family. Uh, I know you have a wife and son, but I just want you to know that an offer will be coming and love for you to call me back and we can talk about it. And I just sort of... It was one of those moments where I, my wife, Nancy, was kind of looking at me and uh, watching me listen to the message. And I kind of was like hitting the counter and like trying to get her attention as to she could hear what was happening. And I just turned like white. She said, is everything OK? Like, some, did someone die? What's wrong? And I was like, no, I just Chris Ashley just called and offered me the show again. And I told her, OK, so D.C. and then Toronto and then New York. She's like, well, New York, like off Broadway, like a church basement. Like what? I, was like, I, I, I think it means Broadway. I don't know. Um, so I eventually talked wow. to Rachel Hoffman from Telsey and Company. And she said, oh, no, no, it's it's going to Broadway, Gina. Like they want you to be in the show on Broadway. I said, I don't have to re-audition? I don't have to like, she goes, no, we want you to do the show. So yeah. I, I'm one of those like one in a millions who mm. auditioned once for a show and got the offer to go and perform mm-hmm. it on Broadway. So it was crazy. It was very, a very crazy audition journey to get to my Broadway debut. So you stop, so you, you, you're in La Jolla, then there's a break for you in Seattle, but then you pick it back yep. up in DC. And uh, yeah. what were the DC audiences like? I asked because I was in one of those at Ford's uh, sure. Theater. Uh, that's the first time I heard of the show. And like you just described earlier, I had no idea what the show was about other than it was something about 9-11 and what happened after 9-11. And I thought the same as you said, well, let's see what happens here. I don't know. And I went very, very doubtful, as I think a lot of people did, um, into Ford's Theater with my, my good friend Amber to see it. And we sit down and literally, I think, well, first of all, the audience all rose to its feet at the end, just from the energy. One thing I will never forget, there was an energy from the stage to the audience that was palpable that I have honestly never felt in any other production that I've seen, and I've seen a lot of productions. There, there was something about the show and the way I, I couldn't describe, I couldn't quite, I still can't quite put my finger on what it was, but there was something where the energy was radiating out of each and every one of you on that stage out to us. So was the DC experience as successful, you think, as Seattle and La Jolla? Um, it, it was, and in, in, in some very informative and, um, and, and different ways. The, mm. the way that the, the team kind of chose to track the show um, after, because you think about it, it was at La Jolla Playhouse. That's about as far away as you can get from the events um, yeah. from New York and Pennsylvania and DC. Um, again, a lovely audience. They were just laughing and, and crying, and they enjoyed it. And then Seattle, kind of same thing, though. I mean, that's pretty. West that's Coast. pretty far away. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, all West Coast. Again, everyone experienced it to, to varying degrees, but True. but the producers were really specific about saying we need to 
make sure that audiences who were much likely, who had a much closer um, connection to the events, um, kind of that we have their blessing and that we sort of, I don't want to say win them over, but but as you said, you come in a little skeptical. We wanted mm-hmm. to make sure that they knew that they could say, oh, no, this this is something that we need. This is something that's that's healing and upbeat and, and you know, hopefully – you know, put some positivity um, in the rearview mirror against the the horrible things that they experienced. So it was very purposeful that the show went to DC and then went to Toronto to also try it out with Canadian audiences and try it out with people who, again, weren't as close to the events, but were really close to uh, you know the, the story itself, the, the the you know the people of, the of Canada piece. and yeah. the sensibility and the humor and. And um, so it was, it was very purposefully tracked. And what we what we found in D.C. was, I think we, we all would agree, it was a slightly more somber audience. Now, it's not to say it was quiet. It's not to say they were bored at all. But it definitely had a more of a, there was more of a meditative connection. Yeah. I think, again, it was just, there was something more visceral well, about the story we were telling and how the people in the audience lived through it and mm-hmm. were connected to it that we didn't get on the West Coast. Well, I think there's two things for that. I mean, I don't want to explain away DC reaction, but I, having been a longtime DC audience member as well as theater person myself, mm-hmm. I do think DC, you know, it's a really smart town. People here are really, mm-hmm. really, really, really picky. Uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of PhDs, a lot of master's degrees, a lot of people, like you said, very connected to politics, but also very connected mm-hmm. to the events of 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 9-11, mostly because, you know, people like me were working a block away from the White House on that day in our offices and ran out into the street and saw the chaos on the street. Uh, it was like something out of a disaster movie. Everyone was running in all sorts of directions and nobody quite knew what to do or where to go. When you see that on the street and you live that, you do get more somber, right? So I thought it was really smart of your producers and the people involved in Come From Away to bring it to DC before New York because it is a great audience to test it out with and it sounds like you guys... Were there any changes made from what you guys experienced in DC? Yes. Um, You know, it's... it's, Every city we went to... um, they, it, was, it was again kind of a purposeful um, multi-city journey, yeah. um, a to kind of gauge the reactions and, and understand better how things were playing. But also, you know, it's a sprawling, epic kind of a show that's that's really you know distilled down to an hour and forty minutes. Mm-hmm. So it was really important that the storytelling was super clear, right. and that all of the you know the the various character arcs. Um, were as clear and as clean and as powerful as possible. So yeah, things. We had a, a major rehearsal period, probably about a, I think four week rehearsal period before DC. Hmm. Um, it had been at that point about eight months since Seattle, so rewrites had occurred. Hmm. Um, and then during the course of our previews, we still continued to change things, not only in DC but also in um, Toronto, as well as a, uh, some changes in New York. But it, it always for the kind of the benefit of. The storytelling, making sure it was crystal clear, that it was you know sharp as a knife, really focused like a laser, and I think that's part of you know what we, you were saying about the energy, and it was it was everything was trimming fat, everything mm-hmm. was making sure that uh, you know if you could say in three words instead of six, if you could you know do something with with one look here and then go to here, it was just all about that and making sure that you know they they kind of made sure every character had their their moment or two and that they were functioning as clearly and as as uh, effectively as they could so there were some uh, some sequences that we added in dc uh, particularly there's a kind of a, a scene that where um ali who's 
an Egyptian um, chef who is at the airport and Gander getting ready to leave and the flight attendant says, I don't feel comfortable mm-hmm. with him on the plane yes. uh, as a Muslim. Um, and Beverly Bass goes on to tell the story about it was the most thorough um, cavity search she's ever experienced. It was just, you know, this the most humiliating thing for this man. It was something that we added because hmm. there were this there, there was a little bit of this, you know, we have to talk about this stuff too. It's not not just people got off this plane and were in this wonderful place, which which it was, but there were still other things going on there and when they get back to the world that, that when they kind of leave this little Narnia Brigadoon, you know, kind of a, of a, of a situation. And they wanted to be sure that that was present as well, that that tension, that it wasn't just, you know, unicorns and rainbows. It was, it was also people were scared and people were, um, you know, very, um, very tense Mm -hmm. with the event. So, so that was stuff that definitely got layered in, in DC, um, at at the get go. But I think the audience is there again. We just, we, we could feel the, the difference mm. yeah. um, in, in the reaction and the emotional depth that, that, that they brought. We got to go to the Pentagon. We were given mm-hmm. a private tour. We went to the museum. I mean, we got to really get ourselves sort of um, great actor kind of saturation into it to get to get a, a different understanding and appreciation mm. for, for what happened. And mm. I, I think, you know, the audiences there really... We, we felt that they got it and that they yeah. approved it, that we did justice to the story and the events and, mm-hmm. and again, gave it this kind of different light and, and hopefully slightly different perspective that could mm-hmm. bring some joy and some hope um, in light of everything. Absolutely. And, you know, and also the, we were talking a bit just now about how the show is constructed and how there's really not a lot of fat in it. That's so true. And these little bits that were added in D.C. that you just talked about really add a lot of layers, I agree, to the show. But one of the things as an audience member you experience too, it's almost like you're holding your breath and then you dive in and you do the whole show and then at the end you let go and release, you cry. <laughs> yeah. Because there really isn't a lot of time for you to applaud or react uh, because the numbers are so tightly woven together and everything, one thing <laughs> flows into another and you don't want to miss a line or a beat or anything So, yeah. or a lyric. Yeah. So you're constantly like focused. It's really, a, a, you know, there's no intermission. It's just like all the way through and then suddenly, boom. You know, so that has to do with the two. And it's a wonderful, it's, it's really a roller coaster ride of a show to watch, to be in as an audience. What a wonderful. Mm, yeah. So you're, you're in D.C., you finish the D.C., then you go to Toronto, you, you, you do it over there to get the Canadian feel, the Canadian experience since there's mm-hmm. a lot of Canada in the show, um, <clears throat> our neighbors to the north. Uh, and then from there, you, you, trans, you transfer to, to Broadway immediately. How does that go? And, and, and when you find oh, out it was yeah. Broadway, yeah. It was, it was all very, very tight. Um, wow. There was one little little uh, jump that we took in uh, after DC and before Toronto. Our producers took us to Gander, mm. to Newfoundland, mm. um, for several days, almost a week. I think it was about five days. Nice. And we basically got to live there and meet almost everyone um, that we that we possibly could. And we uh, performed the show as a concert twice in their community center. We couldn't actually do the show. There's no theater big enough. Um, so we, we sort of performed it as a concert. And that also was for us this sense of, okay, another kind of box has been checked of, we told their story, they um, gave us their blessing, they feel... Mm you know, good about what we did. They feel proud of the way we told their story. So that was a huge thing for us to get their approval before going to Toronto. And then, you know, Toronto was, again, a very, a very smart city. Um, it's, it's, you know, very, you know, metropolitan. Um, but again, they, they love the Canadianism of it in a way that Americans just obviously wouldn't in the same way. They laughed more at, you know, Canadian jokes, Tim Hortons and, and mooses and stuff. And it wasn't 
as the, the, the barometer wasn't as, as heavily slung towards the emotional connection and, and the depth of that. But, but that, again, helped us to go, to go, oh, that maybe is a little too funny there. Mm. That moment there, it's, it's, that's become more of a joke than it is something that is used as something to lighten the mood, but it doesn't need to be up and up bunch kind of a moment. So, mm. so by the time we got to New York, we only rehearsed for, I think, three days in the studio before we got back up into tech uh, mm. on Broadway. And it was a very tight. We did Fords. We had a week off. We went to uh, Gander. We went straight to Toronto. I think we had three weeks off in January. Mm. And then we were back in New York for rehearsals. So it was like six months between the start of DC contract and and Broadway opening up. Wow. And we got to New York and we were, we just hit the ground running again. It was only a couple days. Yeah. And then we, uh, I think seven or eight days later, got into, into previews. And then we continued to change the show and we kept oh, um, wow. really finessing mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And, you know, to all the things you said, I mean, we, we removed buttons from songs. Mm. Um, we, we There was a song that was added for, for Hannah, the I Am Here, and she's on the phone mm-hmm. trying to find her son, the firefighter in New York. They added that specifically um, as we headed to Broadway. Mm. So there were still things that were changing and being refined and being balanced because, as you said, it was just we wanted it to be a theatrical pressure cooker. Uh, mm. It was very specific that they didn't have an intermission. That's something that every producer wants, every theater wants. Yeah. You sell liquor, <laughs> you sell food. You, sure. you know, people people get to go relax for a few minutes. They buy some merch. Everyone's mm-hmm. happy. But it it wasn't the the way this story. It would not serve mm. this story. Right. You know, it has to be from from moment one to to the end of the show to the end of the screech out that the audience is in the same place that the, mm. that the, the people were. They were kind of stuck there. Sure. They were in this world. There was no escape. Um, so as you said, when you get to the end, you've, you've laughed and cried, but it is just everything has been kind of in this pressure cooker. Yes. And you finally get to the end, and you're, you're allowed to, to release that. And that is, uh, I mean, audiences just love it. You know, yeah. It just feels so good and cathartic to finally go, oh, okay, that was wonderful. <laughs> From a, emote, from a, yeah, you know. it's fantastic from an audience perspective. It's a really great feeling, I have to say. Um, now, so there you are in New York on Broadway. I mean, was this your first Broadway show? I can imagine what it was like for you opening night. I'm just trying to think that what was the energy for you oh, and the excitement? Tell us any fun fun things that might have happened yeah. opening night for you. Oh, it was huge. It was huge. There were, I, I want to say four or five of us, I think, that were, we're all making our Broadway debuts. Nice. Um, several Canadian, you know, ex- extraordinarily mm-hmm. talented and, and, you know, um, well-seasoned Canadian actors also who had come down. And so it was just, that was a really special thing. Because usually in a Broadway show, you, you have a couple, maybe one or two in a cast of 20 to 30. But for us, it was like a third of our cast were mm-hmm. making their Broadway debuts. And again, it was a Broadway debut of this show. Um, any Broadway show, of course, is a huge blessing, and, and you know what a wonderful thing to to be a part of. But to be a part of creating a role in th- this show with these people at that time, it just sort of felt like this. It just amplified mm-hmm. how special of an experience it was. And you know, again, the, sh- the show being about stories about real people um, on opening night. You know, for our curtain call, we brought out the people, our, our primary. Um, characters that we play we brought them out they took a bow with us on broadway that's amazing so oz oz fudge and i got to take a (laughs) bow together oh wow Um, yeah so it was just one of those opening nights that i just i have not had another one on broadway but i can't imagine any other one could be as special and you know we get to go to this nice big party and you know as every show then does you kind of wait 
for the reviews. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, our show being this 9-11 musical with writers who are unknown, mm-hmm. a director who had, who had done a couple things, but Chris wasn't necessarily a huge Broadway director star. Um, and we had no one in the cast that was a huge A-list um, you know, star. We had several people who had done a lot of Broadway shows and had done, t- you know, Tony, you know, nominated performances. But, but it wasn't like we had an Adina Menzel or right. we had, you know, it, 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 you know, Julie Andrews or Betty Buckley. We didn't have somebody <laughs> right. like that. Um, so we had kind of a lot. I don't want to say going against us, but it was certainly weighing, uh, you know, in the balances yeah, a little. Like, ooh, ooh this could be a tough sell. It's not a star vehicle. It is a true, true no. ensemble piece, and that's what right. you were saying earlier about the show. It's wonderful. So, what a wonderful experience for you to have that, and to be able to say that you've originated a role on Broadway, whereas you know other people I've talked through different people that I've interviewed throughout the four seasons of this show, of uh, this podcast, that um, people there's a very big difference in originating a role versus stepping into a role. It's they're two different things. They're both wonderful, but stepping into a role that someone else originated for you originated the role of Oz on Broadway, so you will forever have a piece of that. You have forever have a print on that role and the way it's performed because you've. You sort of have an imprint, right, on that role because you had to do with the. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, feeling. It's, and it's it's so special. Yes. I mean, you know, it is just something I never dreamed of, and I was so happy. And that was it was we finally got that opening night, and it, that was just so incredible. And the reviews were luckily um, very very good, and so the show you know took off like a rocket from there. And yeah, then you know, became, Tony nominations and, yeah. and all that stuff. So it, it was it was it was an amazing yeah. way to, to kick off a Broadway career. And how long did you stay with the show? Um, so I was with the show for almost three years on Broadway. Wow. So I did the show a total, I think, of over 1,200 times, but that's, you know, with wow. all the other cities, the three other cities before it, but well over 1,000 on Broadway alone, which is that's that's a pretty, you know, sizable amount. For, always, <laughs> in, always in that track, or did you ever have to go yeah. in for another track? Always in that track. No, no. Luckily, gosh, I couldn't have, I don't know how I would <laughs> have kept anything else straight. Um, you know, what's funny about this show is, you know, Shows have, you know, standbys and Mm -hmm. understudies and and swings. And our show was so unique because it was 12 principal contracts. Right. um, And, you know, they ended up having six full-time standbys where people who specifically are ready to go on for a principal track. But Mm -hmm. they all had to know four or five. Um, They sort of had two primaries and they had to know at least two others. So, like, you know, the web of coverage was always there. So God bless them. I mean, these, these incredible humans whose brains can remember four or five or six different you know, tracks for this show. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, I yeah. can't even fathom it. My head would just <laughs> melt. I would just melt like a candle. Well, Done. 1,200 performances of that role, of the role of Oz, the constable in Come From Away, is a pretty impressive feat. And many, <laughs> m- most of that on Broadway. So that's got to be a wonderful feeling. So we spent a lot of time so far talking about Come From Away. And of course we did, because it's a big feather in your cap. And it's a lot of of, of what people want to hear about now because it's the hot thing again, which is nice. Uh, but you yeah. know, you've done a, you've done more than just come from away and your resume, you know, you've worked off Broadway, you've worked in regional theaters across the country. So I wanted to know if, if there's anything else that you wanted to talk about that you've worked on, maybe another show that stands out in your mind, you know, aside from come from away, you know, you can't really beat that experience, but shows that were really satisfying or show that you felt really exemplified the kind of thing that you can do. Um, is there another show in your mind that, that you really had that wonderful experience with? Sure. I mean, there are so many. You know, that, that's mm-hmm. the wonderful thing about a career in theater. 
uh, our career and in the arts, you know, is every experience is, is so different and you learn from it uh, sometimes, you know, out of joy and sometimes out of frustration and, and pain. But, <laughs> yeah. um, but, but there, it's also that ephemeral nature of it. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it comes and it goes. And, and it, it, the amazing thing about it is it all kind of comes behind you and, and takes you on the journey of where you are today. So without them, I wouldn't be where I am today. Um, uh, I mean, one, one show, another show that I got to do the world premiere of that it went to Broadway, I did not go with it, was Allegiance. It was at the Old Globe. And, oh, yeah. uh, it, was, it was a couple years ago, George, to, uh, George Takei, um, Leia mm-hmm. Salonga, Telly yeah. Leung, this great uh, original musical. Um, uh, again, uh, kind of interesting thematically set against um, the backdrop of World War II and the Japanese internment camps. Mm-hmm. Here in the United States, and to be a part of a, of a musical that you know again was something so new and emotionally charged mm-hmm. and and different, and it was that was a really uh, interesting experience. I got to play a really you know horrible racist you know white guy, which was you know <laughs> painful in, in in a way, of course, yeah. but also as an actor, just you know so challenging right. and and theatrically fun and satisfying. Um, and to, you know, to work with some of these huge stars was also just amazing. And that was a musical where, unlike Come From Away, which was really about trimming fat and, you know, clarifying stories, that was just, it was such an original musical that they had a, they had a lot of rewrites. I mean, we were in, you know, you come in after a 10-minute break and it would have, you know, six or seven pages of new things to, to put into your script and move around. And, you know, one night in previews, this character's here, but tomorrow night she's dead, so we're going to rehearse that and mm. she won't be in the show tomorrow night. And this, we just wrote this new song for Leia Salonga that will go in tomorrow night. Just huge chunks and, you know, puzzle pieces being being manipulated so that was a challenge in, in a different way and in, in that it was sort of this herculean task of remembering what's changing and what's happening and, and mm. shifting of the storytelling but again it was just such a, a wonderful experience with a wonderful group of people shedding light on, on events that maybe people didn't know as much about or didn't necessarily empathize or sympathize with in in the way um that, that they that, that, that they would after seeing the show and really hearing someone's personal experience that's that's the thing that's great about art we don't experience everything the characters do but there's a universality to it and there's that human condition of oh wow i didn't know it could feel like that when you see someone going through something it's different than reading about it it's different than hearing about it it's Mm -hmm. seeing it and we have that that amazing connection when we're on stage and in the audience that communal um connection of oh that that affects me in a different way mm-hmm. by being in this room with this storytelling. So that was another really powerful experience for me. That's wonderful. What another nice the bookend, I mean, in terms of a very different show, but also has some similarities to come from away mm-hmm. in some ways. That's wonderful. Yeah, I've, I, I never got to see that one, but it's one that was on my list. So, you know, here you are as I'm hearing you talk. Obviously, we don't have time to cover everything because it's only, a, you know, less than an hour episode, but we could, we could go on because <laughs> sure. you've done so many different things and I know you wear a lot of different hats. But as you're talking just now about Allegiance, I can really hear sort of your director side, your teacher side, your educator side. There's an intellectual um, part to what you do. Uh, there's, there's a depth uh, to your characters that you're creating. And I think that's coming through in the way you're, you're describing these experiences. So you've developed this career, a parallel career as a director and an educator teaching theater at various colleges. Now you have quite a uh, an expansive resume now of having taught at different places. How do you balance all the three things? You know, in, in taking is does one take more precedent than another at different times? How do they inform each other? Or you know, how do you find yourself uh, spinning all those plates? 
Um, yeah, it, it is. It's a wonderful juggling act. Um, you know, so much of what we do as, as artists is, you know, it's out of your control. You're waiting for the next gig or you're auditioning for this. or You have this lined up for, you know, uh, next March, but you're trying to fill in the gap between between now and then. And what's been wonderful about living in a, a, the regional market that San Diego is, which is an extraordinarily vibrant um, theater scene, but there's also a ton of educational opportunities as well. And as I've always loved you know, educating about theater and sharing what I know um, with, with, you know, budding thespians. Um, mm-hmm. And I, f- I find it for me so um, nourishing because, you know, when you revisit concepts and you're, and you're actively talking about them and demonstrating them and, and teaching them to someone else, it, it just can't help but, you know, circle back to you and go, oh, I got to make sure I'm doing that tonight at the show. Mm. I wasn't listening in that moment. Oh, man. (laughs) You know, like Sanford Meisner talks about pinch and ouch. And I'm not I'm not really (laughs) waiting for her to to give me that uh, catalyst for me to respond. So so for me, it's it it, it helps feed my performance career when I'm teaching and and vice versa. You know, I come in and teach somewhere and I I can talk about things that are currently happening in theater because I'm out there doing it. Um, mm. uh, you know, I, I've done the book learning as well, but I also am out there in, in the practical, um, you know, artistic, you know, ocean kind of treading water, and mm. I can bring back my experiences there as well. And I just, I love directing. There's something very nice about having control over, mm. or a lot of yes. control um, yes. over a, a production and the vision. Um, there's something also freeing as an actor where you don't have to worry about all that stuff. You know, it's not your job, it's not your circus. Right. Um, it also teaches you when, I, when yeah. you're an actor to kind of let go a bit of some things. Because when you've directed and you've been in that seat, it sort of makes you a little more forgiving of the director yeah. because you go, okay, I get it. It's hard. There's a lot to balance. Give, give, oh, give, there is give a her lot a break. Going on. Right. Give her a yeah. break, uh, you know, because she's got a lot on her plate. <laughs> That's what I'm always. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, I think it's a great, again, a great example of the, you know, the community of theater, mm-hmm. right? I mean, everyone has their jobs to do and yes. but you can't do it in a vacuum. You have to work with each other. And yeah. I, I love collaboration. It's, it's something that I really thrive on. I never, you know, walk into the room assuming I have the best idea. I always have an idea. I always have something ready. Um, but uh, but I always say, in, in when I'm an actor, when I'm a director, when I'm an educator, that I want it to be a dialogue. I want it to be collaborative because you know it's there's bound to be better ideas or easier ways to do something or things that I don't see because um, there are so many other eyes and brains and hearts in the room mm-hmm. that I, I thrive on that. And I feel like that's you know that's that's one of the best things about theater as a discipline is the collaborative nature of it and you really have to listen and respond and take care of each other and i think that's you know one reason it's come from away is just again such a special experience was because it was kind of reflective of of what i find to be so um vital and important and interesting about theater is that we work together to tell a story Absolutely. I mean, that's wonderful. I was going to ask you how you like to collaborate, and you've answered already, so that's wonderful. So, um, <laughs> check that box. No, you checked all the boxes. That's fantastic, and the way you describe it is, is so perfect. So, thank you for doing that. Um, for those that are Thanks. listening, it's it's important yeah. for us to hear kind of the behind the scenes of how people like to work, whether they're directors or performers or both. Now, you've you've talked about come from away. You've talked about allegiance. You've talked about teaching and I um, and directing and a little bit and you know we're almost out of time but I do want you to take this moment now before we close to talk a bit about anything you might have coming up I know we've just gone through a year and a half of quarantine or more of, of performers actors not being able to do those of us that love theater not being able to really do a lot of our theater unless it was online I don't know if you participated in any of those but um, do you have any live things coming up that we need to know about 
Um, yes, thank goodness, I do. It's it's exciting. It does, you know, feel here in San Diego, and I'm sure other places that, you know, we're waking up. Like, you know, the, the, the theater is, is coming out of its hibernation. Um, so I'm, right now I'm teaching an acting class at Grossmont College mm-hmm. uh, here in San Diego. I am directing a production of The Wizard of Oz at Moonlight Youth Theater, which mm-hmm. is in Vista, California, about 45 minutes north of San Diego. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's this beautiful, huge outdoor amphitheater. Uh, we have the Madison Square Garden sets and a 21-piece orchestra, and it's 65, 7- to 17-year-olds, so it's just really oh fun, yeah. um, you know, chance to... You know, they, they know Wizard of Oz, but not like the rest of us. So it's really exciting <laughs> yeah. to share, you yeah. know, this journey with them over the rainbow. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in November, I am going to be appearing um, in A Christmas Carol at Lamb's Players Theater, mm. which is here in San Diego. Uh, and then it's a, a spoiler alert here, but I'm actually going back to Come From Away uh, in okay. January of 2022 for, for about a month. I'll oh, be back on, on, on Broadway, which is great. Yeah. So you just so find I got out. some stuff coming up, which is good. Yeah, January. I that's did. It was just about two out. weeks ago. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's officially happening. That's fantastic. So your, your Come From Away journey has not ended. It is continuing <laughs> and, and, and going on into the new year. Uh, it appears to be the case, and what's you know amazing about the show is, you know, it, as we've talked about, it's, it's a difficult show to cast in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, and yes. and um, you know, there's only so many of us who have done it. There were five companies out there um, right before the shutdown, and a lot of them are, are coming back to life now. But um, but what's great about it is, you know, as as with any show that sort of has specialties involved in it, um, they could call me from the national tour, they could call me from Australia, sure. they could call from. You know, Toronto from from London and say, you know what, we we need someone for three weeks. You know, you're one of six people in the world that know this role. Um, Can you come do it? So it's that's a really nice potential to have. I I wasn't expecting it to happen. And that's been kind of a theme of my my career is sort of no expectations, but but being open to the journey and wherever the road takes me. And in this case, I thought I was done with Come From Away. And then, uh, you know, you you pick up the phone and this time I answered the phone. Luckily, I didn't know (laughs) it would be Chris or not. <laughs> you learned your lesson. <laughs> Good for you. I'm glad. I'm glad you learned your lesson not to let it go to voicemail if it's a New York number. <laughs> Me too. But um, that's great. And so here we are. You know, it's interesting. Come from away does feel when you see it like a family, and in many ways, what you just described is a family experience where you're always welcome back in, and most likely it'll come back around because they need you and they want you. Once you've proven to be a loyal member of the family, they want you to come back. So that's fantastic. So we'll be looking for you. Those that are going. To, to New York City, uh, starting to plan their trips for the holidays and for the uh, January and the New Year, they should look out for Gino in Come From Away on Broadway because he's going to be there for a brief time. Yay. So you've got to quickly, quickly catch him while he's there in January. So talk to us a little bit if people want to. Fo- speaking of that, if they want to follow you and know what's going on with you, uh, keep up with your, you know, on, with you. I don't know if you do social media or if you have a website. Tell people all the things so they know where to follow you. Sure, I do some of those wacky social medias. I'm not quite on the TikTok yet, um, but <laughs> but yeah, um, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Instagram. It's just my name, so at Gino Car, G E N O C A R R, and my website's the same, GinoCar.com. So you can I keep that pretty uh, 
you know, pretty well updated with things. And if you end up following me on social media, you'll probably get to see my incredibly uh, gregarious and, and ridiculously cute six-year-old Elliot and my beautiful wife, Nancy. And uh, then you can maybe even come see me in a show, too. But I think seeing those beautiful faces is even more uh, more uh, rewarding than seeing me on stage. Oh, wonderful. Well, Gino, it's always great to see you on stage. And we're looking forward to seeing you more and more, especially in the new year as we hear you're busy until then. And then you're going to go right into come from away. So we'll all be looking for you in New York and beyond. Thank you so much for being on American Theatre Artists Online. It's been such a pleasure talking to a real working actor who's out there doing it and a teacher and director who's out there um, earning a living doing this work. So thank you. Oh, well, my pleasure. Thank you so much for, for inviting me and uh, hope to maybe one of these days I'll get to actually meet you in person. <laughs> right? Instead of me just seeing you on stage. <laughs> Next time I promise right. I'll come backstage to say hi. All right. It's a deal. Thank you, Gino. Thank you for listening to the American Theatre Artists Online podcast. This episode was edited by Zach Walsh. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider donating to the Actors Fund today. Just go to actorsfund.org and press donate. If you'd like to share your feedback or send us comments, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at American Theatre Artists Online. 